0: or 640 muscles. And you think of the pairing of the human body, a great argument against uh, Darwinian evolution, that we just happen to evolve. You take the pairing of the human body, you take the probability of chance-producing two separate parts that are absolutely identical, as you can do with your, your hands. And you just go right down the middle of your body. And for most of us, we are the same on both sides, the symmetry, the coordination, not to mention the brain. And you and I know. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, pastor of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale. And day by day at this time, we bring you the word of the Lord from the pulpit of our church. And I trust that today that you will be encouraged. We'll be continuing our theme on the Christian and gifts. What should we be doing with the gifts that God has given to us? And of course, we'll be looking at those spurious ideas of gifts from God. Now, today we begin with the Psalm 16 Pleasant places, purposes, and praises. In this Psalm 16, there are no problems, no complaints. It is a psalm of pleasant things. The key word in statement is verse 6, which says, The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. The psalmist begins the psalm with, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. The word lines in verse 6 here means ropes for marking out property or boundaries. You will notice that we have no part in their setting. They fall upon us. It says, The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Our birth, our heritage, our gifts and opportunities are all appointed by God. The Christian is not a complainer, but rather has found that God is good, and even his portion, if it is smaller or unequal with any other, he blesses God for his bounties from the Lord this psalm is undoubtedly attributed to our Lord Jesus. He is the perfect man. He was the blessed man in life on earth. And while he was the man of sorrows, yet he was fully satisfied, fully contented in doing and fulfilling the word of God and the will of God, even in the lowest estate. No man had a more satisfying and fulfilling life than our Lord Jesus. He lived life to the full, Each day was a blessed day of God's power and grace within his soul. He drank deeply of the well of grace. Each Christian has a measure of that same life. We are blessed in our Lord, and through fellowship with him, we drink of the sweetness of his grace. We are speaking of the Lord who can make a prison house, a temple, and a pit of misery into heaven on earth. Many of God's saints have gone to jail and under the reign of communism and other regimes, suffered and yet endured by grace for the Lord's glory. These pleasant places, take a look at them with me here. The context helps us to pinpoint these places. There are the outer places of holy worship. And in verse 7, it begins, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night season. Now, Jews were Zionists. They turned their places into a holy ground and remembered the stones of the city as sacred to God. To be present in the holy place was their portion. To be among the people of God and to worship in spirit and truth was their all. You can see the contrast in verse 4. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another god. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer nor make take up their names into my lips. How pleasant to worship the Savior and to know the Lord Jesus as our own dear Lord. We esteem the Lord Jesus' greater riches than halls of fame with gold and earthly power. And there are, of course, the inner places of our soul. This refers to the reins and literally the kidneys, the inmost seat of the soul. And to the Christian, the best place is the place of sweet and quiet communion with the Lord, a chair in the corner where you can whisper your soul's needs to the Lord, and you find that God meets you there. I think David is spending his nighttime hours in holy communion with his Lord. The ungodly cannot live with themselves, but the Christian can be at peace, alone with God, and with his own heart while in worship with the Lord. Shall we unite in prayer together and just ask the Lord to work this in our hearts today? Father in heaven, we come to thee in prayer today in Jesus' name. We thank thee for the privilege of ministering your word. And what a comfort to know that the lines have fallen unto us in pleasant places. We thank thee for the good things that befall us daily. For the food we enjoy, home, family, friends, laughter, joy, peace with God, and the joy and liberty of living for the gospel and for the Lord. We pray that you will encourage hearts today. Lord, lift up that head that is hanging down and give joy to the soul that we may be a people that will glorify thee in our words, thoughts, and deeds. We pray that you will encourage through your word today Oh, that the preaching of God's word would be that word of life, word of direction, and bringing light to the soul and liberty to the heart. I pray that you will go before us now. O oh, Lord, lighten our load and give us grace to glorify thee. We plead this, pray, and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If we could see beyond today as God can. with the Charismatics is that they say something like this, that if you want to know if you're filled with the Spirit, you will speak with tongues. They make that the evidence, the mark of being Spirit-filled. But that doesn't fit the whole pattern of 1 Corinthians 12, because different gifts are given to different people people. The other difficulty that the charismatics have by saying that there are apostles today, there are miracles today, there are revelations today, is that the Bible teaches us that those things would cease. And if you turn to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, the the chapter of charity, and this is all within context of what Peter is talking about, he's telling us to have fervent charity among ourselves. And uh, in chapter 13, verse 8, He said, Charity never faileth. And so what Peter wrote uh, to the Christians is for us today. Charity never faileth. It's the gift that never fails, that never ends. It's appropriate, required, in every age of the church. But, but, whether there be prophecies, they shall feel. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And he goes on to talk about the things that end and cease. And it is the conviction by and large of the Westminster Confession of Faith and many Reformed Bible teachers that the tongues ceased when the apostles died. The miracles of healing, the miracles of extra revelation ended when the apostles died because the New Testament was completed. And when the Bible was completed, where do we get our knowledge? If you want a word of knowledge now, where do you go? You go to the Bible. You don't need a revelation. You don't need a word from an angel or from some voice in the sky. You go to the Scriptures directly. And we're told in the Bible that this is the final word. And if we add to this word or if we take away from this word, that that is a judgment upon us. And so the charismatics are in trouble today. And they have said that the Reformation in the 15-1600s missed the charismatic gifts, and only in the 20th century, uh, starting in Azusa Street, Los Angeles, 1908, when the whole phenomenon of tongue speaking began, spread into the Pentecostal movement, and uh, later. Uh, what is more termed the charismatic phenomenon, that uh, the Reformers missed this. And you've had 1,800, 1,900 years of Christianity without the blessing of miracles in the church. Well, what does that tell you? That they ceased somewhere in the first century when the apostles died these supernatural, extraordinary miracles, revelatory gifts ended. It is called the cessation of the charismata, the ceasing of the gifts. And to come along now in the 20th, 21st century and to resurrect these things is confusion. And that's why we have in the charismatic world such absolute, mind-boggling foolishness, men claiming to be prophets, claiming to be apostles. Now, you'll notice the three things uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that never fail, faith, hope, charity. And the greatest of these is charity. And what did Peter say, First Peter 4, 8? Above all things, top priority. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Is it not significant that Peter did not say, Above all things, speak in tongues? He didn't say that. He never says a word in the two epistles about speaking in tongues. He never says a word about the gifts of knowledge, healings, performing miracles. In the two letters that Peter wrote, he never said a word to Christians that they should seek the extraordinary apostolic miraculous gifts. But he did say to them that you need charity and you need to exercise the gift, the grace that God gives you. What are those gifts? Gifts of ministering, gifts of ministering. We have seen that they are ministerial. You can't get away from that. They are to serve the body. They are variously given. They are the agape gifts where it costs to serve, and that is true love, true love to our fellow believers in the body of the church, and it is true love to Christ, who's the head of the church. When we lay our lives on the altar and say, Lord, use me, equip me, fill me, give me the necessary gifts and graces, that I may serve my Lord and serve your people." Now, another point here about the bestowing of these gifts, and that is that they are given individually. And this is the wonder of this distribution. It says that they are given to every man. And you see, you're going to be given gifts that I don't have. You've probably figured that out a long time ago. There are gifts that I don't have. That's why I married Beulah, because she, she's the musical half of our family. And any of our kids that have got music genes, they didn't get them from me. They got them from their mom. And God gives gifts variously and individually, but every one of us has a gift to give. And it may be the least. It may appear to be the smallest, but it's absolutely vital to the service of the Lord's Church. I took an interest recently in a chart of the human body, and it had just about every muscle, every bone, every uh, nerve itemized and and named, and I was staggered at the complexity of the human body. And to help me in in this uh, and thinking on this, I just Googled uh, the question, how many bones in the human body? Well, I got a whole load of information. And in the human body, there are approximately 12 different separate systems. There's the circulatory system, the heart, the blood, the lymph vessels, and all of that. Uh, Then there's the digestive system. And then there's the processes, the chemicals, and all that's involved in the digestive system. And my, when you get cramps and you get indigestion and when you can't process your food, your whole body's in trouble. And yet it's only a part of the human frame. There's the endocrine system, the pituitary gland. Uh, That's what uh, the reverend um, uh, in Madrid, Um, Hannah. Yes. See, this is why I needed such a gift. Uh, She's also half my brain, as well as the musical side of our family. But uh, the Reverend Hannah had his pituitary gland removed. And what a management this is now for the rest of his life. Just the tiniest little part, a gland, an organ that, that uh, controls. It is the controlling gland of, of so much, and that little part removed creates great trouble. You go down the line of um, the external structures, the skin. By the way, your skin is the largest part of the human body. I remember seeing that down in Science World, and they had they had a human body. I dare not say this, but all the inner part was removed, just the skin. What an amazing organ it is. You had no skin, you couldn't survive. Infection would get in, you could never survive. It's an amazing system. Then there's the internal sensory structure, optic nerves, uh, the nervous system. There's the immune system, there's the lymphatic system, the muscular system, the skeletal system. Uh, Muscles, by the way, uh, there are 320 separate pairs, or 640 muscles. And you think of the pairing of the human body, a great argument against uh, Darwinian evolution, that we just happen to evolve. You take the pairing of the human body, you take the probability of chance-producing two separate parts that are absolutely identical, as you can do with your, your hands. And you just go right down the middle of your body. And for most of us, we are the same on both sides. The symmetry, the coordination, not to mention the brain. And you and I know if there's a toenail troubliness, if there's a tooth hurtiness, well, we have a dentist here tonight to help us out. If there's a little follicle of hair that gets under the skin and causes infection, we're in trouble. Now, why did I take time on this? Because many Christians say, I have no relevancy or importance in the local church. But just as, and this is the analogy of the Bible, just as in the Bible, we have this teaching on the body uh, from the human physical body. The Bible says that Christians serving the Lord under the headship of Christ, have all got a vital part to do. And when you stop praying and you stop living for God, that affects the whole body. When you fall into sin, that affects the whole body. It becomes a problem, an issue, a burden, a discouragement to the whole church, and it dishonors the head. But more than that, when you sit on your gift that God gives you, the church is hindered. If you get a broken finger, and that seems a very minor thing after all the issues we've talked about here, a broken finger, it hinders you in so much to lift a cup, drive the steering wheel, hold the steering wheel of the car, so many things, and you're limited. Now your involvement, your service, your worship, your participation in the Lord's church is vitally important. And there are Christians tonight that are sitting in front of the television. They are serving the world. They are giving into the flesh. And the church of the Lord Jesus is hurting. If every Christian was living for God as they ought to live, what a church she might be. And of course, the devil trips us all up by telling us, you don't really matter. And that's the devil's favorite line and most successful argument. Let me tell you, when your place is empty in the church, it matters. When you stop praying in the church, it matters. And when you let others carry the load, it matters. And here is a great argument for church membership. Here is a great argument for discipleship here is an argument for what Dr. Peter Masters has done in Metropolitan Church in London. He won't allow anyone to become a church unless they're willing to become an active volunteer in the church. And that's a model that he has insisted upon, acted upon. Uh, I'm not sure how they uh, control it, but it's a very busy, efficient congregation. There's an old adage that's been true for a long time that, in God's work, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. It shouldn't be. We're in need of workers, evangelists, Sunday school helpers, office bearers. The church today is hurting because many Christians don't use the gifts that God gives them. Now, I've run out of time tonight I'll have to leave the responsibilities to next week. But one thing I do want to major on here before I close, and that is you'll see in verse 10, as good stewards, as good stewards. Now, I'll get into that next week. But I think you will understand that a steward is a manager, one that cares. Now, I have a story on this. It's an old man who worked for a farmer for all his years, and it got to the point where he wasn't sure who owned the farm, whether it was him or the true legal owner, because he looked upon all the stock as his stock. He looked upon a death in the farm as a tragedy it brought tears to him. And when there was a new foal or a new calf, it rejoiced him uh, because These were his, and he served and cared and worked on that farm as if the animals were his own. Now, when it comes to the Lord's church, surely there is a lesson for us. We're all to be shepherds. We're all to be carers, and we're stewards, stewards, and we're going to give account. That's the one thing about a steward. He gives account to his master and I'm going to give account for my stewardship. I'm going to stand before the great tribunal and it will be brought to light what I have done with my time, talents, and treasure, my stewardship. Because everything, as Matthew Henry pointed out, everything is God's gift to us. We are but stewards. And what we do with those benefits, blessings, Gifts, graces, and stewardship, God will demand. And I have to ask myself, am I burying the gift? Like the man with the one talent and said, it's not worthwhile doing anything with this. I'll just bury it. I'm not a Martin Luther. I'm not a Paul the Apostle. I'm not a Frank McClelland. I'm not as any one of our other ministers in our denomination. I have... A little spark of gift that God has given me that I must use. I must, uh, and I can't get into it tonight, verse 11 talks about using it with all our ability. If I sat up to midnight last night watching television, movies, taking interest in the world, I'll not tell you what time I came out of my study last night. I was saying to the deacons on Tuesday night that I'm not really very good at getting sermon titles and subjects in advance. I can't be one of those preachers that uh, sets the calendar and marks out my subject for the rest of the year and can announce it all in advance. Sometimes you ask me on a Saturday afternoon, what's the message for tomorrow? Still working on it, still working on it. Still the burden has to grow and the message has to come out of the word. A steward is responsible. And next week I'm going to preach on the six responsibilities of stewardship, of using the gift that God has given us. But I do want to close tonight with a challenge to you. Are you using the gift that God has given you? Last week we learned about using hospitality. Now there is the gift. Perhaps someone needs to tell you what the gift is, but you do know the thing that honors God that is a growing burden in your heart. God always gives a burden for the task. Men who are feeling the call of God to full-time service are given three guidelines that there is first of all, the aptitude, then there is the ability, and thirdly, the opportunity. Those three are our guidelines. If God's calling you, God's going to work in your heart to do something for him. He'll give you the desire, the aptitude. He gives you the ability. And of course, that's a growing ability as you serve him and use that talent. And then the opportunity, the open door to serve him. Now, if you're in a place where the door is closed to you, you have to pray, Lord, are you, are you want me somewhere else? door is open, then we all have to consider our stewardship.